Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Um, and today we have another chunk of Six Suspects by Vikas Swarup. He wrote the novel Q&A, which was later adapted actually into a radio play um, of the same name. It was then adapted into the sensational film Slumdog Millionaire went on to win an Oscar. Um, and it's just a splendid coming-of-age story in India told with this weird mix-up of American culture and Indian culture and was just plain Awesome. Well, we've got um, another way of looking at contemporary India through Six Suspects, kind of an Indian whodunit, but with plenty to say about caste, murder, crime, and uh, the the life of modern India. Really, really fine piece. Um, Also dramatized by John Dryden. John has been at this for more than 15 years, um, dating back to some productions in 1994 and 1995 about South Africa, I later learned uh, on chatting with him. John uh, actually hails from the realm of documentary producer for the BBC and uh, decided at, at some point that the kinds of stories he wanted to tell were worked better uh, if he had the ability to have it be a completely fiction story. So uh, fiction is the lie that tells the truth, as John Dryden uh, teaches us in his many productions, all of which uh, they tend to be, I should say. Not all of them have the same thread, but they, they do tend to be uh, contemporary literary-type fiction stories about um, exotic places in the world. They, you know, they, they, they take on global issues interesting ways and have a real gritty, uh, true-to-life sound, uh, which reflects that kind of documentary reality, as well as the field recording a- aspect of his production style. Um, and really, really quite marvelous, as I think you've heard throughout Six Suspects. So um, thrilled to have more of that with you, as well as a exclusive interview with John coming up. Uh, John actually is about to have another one of his serials debut this coming week, the 26th through 28th of March. It'll be on BBC Radio 4. Um, I believe you'll be able to get it on the iPlayer. I'll make sure to put links up at radiodramarevival.com. Um, as you may know, if you follow BBC uh, Productions as they go out over the web, uh, you have a pretty limited time to get them on iPlayer, so I'm going to be talking it up as much as possible so you have an opportunity to hear Pandemic. Uh, Pandemic is a fantastic production which tells a story through uh, past, present, and future, not all in that order, Um and how a global sort of the the before and after of a global um, crisis uh, of of disease, except that it's not you know kind of like your outbreak style story where it's talking where it's all about the disaster and kind of a disaster response film. It's all about uh, sort of a political thriller. So uh, I, I I highly recommend it. I've seen the script. I haven't heard the production, but I know it's been uh, recorded in locations across the world, and it's going to be fantastic. So stay tuned for Pandemic. Um, if you're hearing this after the 26th or 28th of March 2012, uh, check out RadioDramaRevival.com for the link for that iPlayer. Um, first up, we do have another installment of The Cleansed uh, coming at you this week is Chapter 3 of Episode 1. Um, so far, we met John Prophet, um, had a sort of treacherous encounter in the sewers, and then has struggled up to a rural part of Maine called The Refuge. Um, he met David and Sam, two people who were introduced in the pilot episode of The Cleansed, and they rather rebuffed his uh, calls for help, and we still don't know exactly what John wants, but in this episode, he's going to meet two young people, Maria and Luke, and this is their first encounter in Chapter 3 of The Cleansed, Season 1. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Final Room Productions presents The Cleansed, Episode 1, Chapter 3. telling your story yeah about john prophet it was the first time we saw him well awake that is yeah if only he'd stayed right asleep do you really mean that i don't know maybe yeah sometimes i do things would have been really different different can be good he changed our lives forever huh more than i ever suspected way more and do you remember the look on jonas's face (laughs) She's pissed. You were always like this. You were always like this. And you've always just people. I'm done. You do what you want. Let the man recover. Please, as a doctor. I'll go with what the council decides. I promise. Now, I'd like to see him get what's coming. Sam! Sam! Come on! Hey, don't even think about it. Jonas, please. Our parents are crazy. This man is dangerous. I don't know much else. We found him. We should at least be able to talk to him. You'd better wait for the elders to decide. And you think the elders will really make the right decision? Maria. Seriously. They're scared of everything. What do you bet they don't even talk to him? Assuming he's willing to talk. He wants to talk. Why else would he come all the way here? You won't be able to talk her out of it, Jonas. A stubborn girl does not change my opinion as a doctor. What are they going to do to him? That's not my decision. But if they decide to do something bad, wouldn't it be better if he had an advocate? Someone to raise a different voice at the meeting. He's barely talking. Then he'll hardly even know I'm here. No, I mean it. He should be in the hospital. We just don't have one. Jonas, you know what my dad is like. I do. And he's made up his mind? Yes. He's made up his mind, I'd say. Then letting me in might be the only way to change it, right? You are incorrigible. We'll be quick. All right. Thank you. Back for more. Um, hey. Huh? Oh, you. Sorry. I thought you were Sam. I'm Maria, her daughter. You're John, right? (sighs) I I heard of you. You're... Are you okay? She had a daughter? Huh? Sam. Yeah. (laughs) All about that. How old are you? Fifteen? <laughs> Figures. What? Nothing. <clears throat> that was a long time ago. John? John! Sorry. I've been riding hard. Are you, are you the John Prophet who, who fought in Bangor? I am. Who are you? I'm Luke. He's my brother. I'm adopted. Oh. My my mom and I 
We escaped that day and I'm my dad. Sorry. It's okay. That that was a hell of a day. Mostly hell. Why did you come here? Straight to the chase, huh? Don't talk to me like I'm a little girl. <laughs> yep, you got the spunk. <laughs> All right. Why I came. I have nowhere left to go. Weren't you pretty far away, though, in, in the south? I was. And? Things changed. <clears throat> Very quickly. Very badly. So why don't you start by telling us where you found the horse? The alarm! What's that? It's trouble! Drop everything and run to the courtyard! You need to get me out of here! What? Why? We don't have time! What did you do with my horse? We couldn't catch it! What? You let it go? Are you crazy? That thing was wild! Jesus! How about you? Do you have any horses? Give me one of them. We don't know. have any horses, don't mister. We, they were all killed by the disease. Oh, please, this is important. What? I, I did something. I'm being hunted. If those people catch me, that will be the end. Do you understand? No, we don't. Can you help me? How? We need to get out of here. Now. What did you do, John? I'll tell you everything, but please. You've got to start by trusting me. Do you trust me? No. No way. <laughs> Just like Sam. But I'll help you. Maria! What do you think our parents will do? They sure don't like him. Yeah, for good reason! You really trust what David says? Maria, I don't Look, you have no idea what will come if no one does anything. This idyllic little life of yours will be over. So you need to make a decision. Just on your say-so. If you stick around for the proof, it'll be too late. Okay, we'll take Moby again. It still has some flak juice. Maria, they'll need Moby too. They'll get it back soon enough. Come on! <sighs> all right, everyone. If you're not on the defense force, gather in the bunker. We'll give the all clear signal when it's over. The rest of you, come with me. We're headed to the armory. David! David! Jesus, yes. Chris, what is it? They're bearing a white flag. What? I don't think they're here for a fight. That would be a first. Well, what should we do? I'll meet them. No way you will. Then who else? Fine, but I've got your back. I can hit any one of them from here. We're meeting them on truce, so? Good point, but don't fire unless you... Yeah, David, no problem. All right. podcast version of The Cleansed. To hear the rest of this episode in its entirety and uncut, visit www.thecleansed.com. You can purchase the entire director's cut for $1.99. Also see a full cast and crew list, exclusive behind-the-scenes video, character sketches, and more. Again, that's www.thecleansed.com. Or catch us next week for another free installment. New episodes of The Cleansed will go up on this podcast for free each Friday from March through October 2012. Those are available at thecleansed.com, finalrune.com, and radiodramarevival.com. The Cleansed is a Final Rune production. Find more free audio stories at www.finalrune.com. That's F-I-N-A-L-R-U-N-E.com.
And that was another chapter of The Cleansed, season one, thecleansed.com. For more tastes of that show, as well as excellent episode art, um, you should really be following the work that Simon Adams has done. Uh, we are closing now to uh, full episode two, which will go out on the first week of April. So if you um, have already paid for paid for the paid download of episode one, the paid download for episode two will be coming out. And of course, you can just keep tuning in this podcast for a chunk of it each week. Um, yeah, and now we're on to six suspects. Um, this is a, uh, a sort of an amalgamation of different episodes, so it doesn't. It's not exactly chapter part two, but we'll call it part two because how we're releasing it here in Radio Drum Revival. Six suspects by Vikas Swarup, adapted by Yisha Menon, and produced by John Dryden for BBC Radio Four, and shared with you today. Enjoy. I have been threatened. I have been attacked. Attempts have been made to shut down my daily column, but. I have endured. The truth always does. I refuse to be silenced. Silence strengthens the oppressor, not the oppressed. One shining morning not so long ago, the people of India refused to be silent. But that's not where this story begins. Good morning, Minister Ji. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Good morning. Good morning. Meet Mamta Rai, politician, criminal, and mother of our poster boy for sleaze, Vicky Rai. Good morning, Mamta Ah, Inspector Brar. I've heard good things about you. May God grant you the grace to continue your fine work. Thank you, madam. Please, sit. To what do I owe this honor? You have turned into a regular superman. I hear you plan to eradicate crime in the city. I do my best, madam. Tell me, what can I do for you? I'm deeply troubled, Inspector Brar. With these false allegations against my son, if only my husband were alive. <sighs> anyway, I hear a new witness has come forward to testify. Yes, madam. I see. And who might this be? I'm afraid I can't give out that information. You can't. Inspector Brar, you're new. You don't know how things work here. So let me tell you, it's in your best interest to be on my side. I am on the side of the law, Mamtaji. There's a lot I can do for you, Inspector. A lot. You only have to do the right thing. You cannot bribe me, madam. Bribe? No. I was offering my hand in friendship, Inspector Brar. I have heard of what goes on here, Mamtaji. What are you insinuating? I will clean up this state. I assure you. I'm asking you for the last time. Are you going to give me the witness's name or not? I will not intervene in your son's case, ma'am. I'm sorry. I see. <sighs> Inspector Brar is not aware of the depths to which Mamta Rai is capable of stooping. Mamata, can I have a word? Yes, Chief Minister Sahib. Could you walk with me to my car? But Chief Minister Pandey has always had his suspicions. Now, what is all this about Inspector Brar being transferred to Godforsaken Baric? He wasn't doing his job properly, Chief Minister Sahib. He had to be taught a lesson. But he was the shining light of our police force, a brave man. Hmm. They start off well, then they meet people get all sorts of ideas above their station. But this transfer is... The DGP wanted to fire him. 
But I said, no, we cannot let go of such a fine officer. We have to give him another chance. That's why I suggested the transfer. Mamta, people within the department are beginning to question your tactics. My intentions have always been noble, Chief Minister Sahab. Ever since your son has been accused of shooting that waitress, the public has gone crazy. Have you read the papers? I try not to read those rags, Chief Minister Sahab. Well, I suggest you do. Do you know what the journal Arun Arbani has said about our party in his column? Lucky for us, none of our voters can read. That girl was some sort of Gandhian scholar. They're splashing her picture everywhere. It's such a shame about that girl. So much like my own daughter, Ritu. Yes, but everyone believes your son killed her. This is politically motivated slander. The opposition is intent on blackening my name with these slurs, but God is on our side, Chief Minister Sahab. You're saying your son is innocent? He is as sinless today as he was on the day I gave birth to him. He better be, Mamta. A party's image will go down the drain if he is found guilty. He will be acquitted, Chief Minister. I assure you of that. Hmm. All right. Good luck. I don't need luck, Mother. I've got you. It was a day all of India watched and listened, with a morbid fascination akin to watching a horror film. You know something terrible is going to happen. So you sit, transfixed, holding your breath, <clears throat> waiting for the inevitable. The police have not been able to recover the murder weapon which was used to murder Ruby Gill. And no eyewitnesses have come forward to testify against the defendant. Since the prosecution has failed to establish guilt beyond reasonable doubt, I have no choice but to find the defendant, Vicky Rai, not guilty. The judge has spoken and my son has been vindicated of these cruel and politically motivated slanders. This has been a very difficult time for my family, but our belief in the judicial system of India and our faith in God has got us through this. One question, Thank please. you. That's all for now. Uh, Vicky Rai, can you give us a statement? How do you feel Vicky. about the verdict? Keep it short, Vicky. Uh, I'm lost for words. I'm speechless. Good. Let's go. My enemies have tried to bring me down, but finally justice has prevailed. I would like to thank my mother for being my rock, my sister for her prayers, and my father who's looking after me from heaven. That's enough. That's I enough. offer my prayers to the soul of Ruby Gill. May she rest in peace. She was a beautiful girl who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let's go, Vicky. Please, please stay you, back, please stay back. Please, please, please make a way. As a mother, as a mother, I truly understand your distress. You will be in our prayers. Come on, Vicky. May you die a sad and lonely death. May you never rest in peace.
This is going to ruin the image of our party. It already has. Chief Minister Sahab, trust me, people will forget that girl. Well, I can't afford to take that risk. There have been a lot of complaints about you, Mamta. I've chosen to overlook them, but this I can't ignore. Why do you care what people think? In politics, all that matters is the public. And we have lost the battle of public opinion. I'm sorry. I want your resignation on my desk by tomorrow. <laughs> There's no need for that. If you prefer, we can say you resigned on health grounds. Your health might be bad, but not mine. I'm a fighter and I will not take this lying down. If you fire me, by tomorrow, your coalition government will be gone. You are compelling me to dismiss you, madam. You are compelling me to become a rebel chief minister. Fine, then. The battle lines are drawn. Let us see who prevails. Yes, let us see. What repercussions does your son's acquittal have on the party? Ma'am? Is it true what we've heard about a cabinet reshuffle, ma'am? Thank you. Thank you. I have no comment at this time. Please tell us. Can you explain politics now with a clear conscience? No comment. Madam, please tell us where your son is, madam. No comment. Mamtaji, here. One question. Thank you. No comment. Stay back, please. Mamtaji, now Bharat Naik. Madam. Take me to Minister Tripurari's house immediately. And if you don't get me there in under 10 minutes, I'll make your life a living hell, Brijlal. Mamta Rai thought she was indestructible. Her son had proven her wrong. Hello? Mom, I have a great idea. What now? Listen, I'm throwing a big bash to celebrate my acquittal, 15th of February. The invitations are going out as we speak. Will you come? I will strangle you with my bare hands. Is this the way to speak to your flesh and blood? Bloody driver, if anything happens to this car, I'll throw you in jail and make sure you rot and die there. Do you understand? Do you understand me, Brijlal? Chill out, mom. What's going on? The chief minister has asked me to resign. This is all your fault, Vicky. Listen, what will you do? I will never resign. That bastard will have to kill me first. You better get your job back. Must move bail me out next time I shoot a waitress. <laughs> you think this is funny? That girl was a bloody Gandhian scholar. Do you know how that looks to the public? I am still atoning for your sins, Vicky. Everywhere I go, all I hear is Ruby Gill, Ruby Gill, Ruby Gill. I'll move on to other stories eventually. Are you such a numbskull that you don't get it? I will never work in politics again because of Ruby Gill. Whatever we do from now on, we will never be free of Ruby Gill. For the rest of our lives, we will be haunted by the bloody ghost of Ruby Gill. Was that the end for Mamta Rai? Her misconduct and impropriety now consigned to history books? Well, I'll save that for another day. As for Vicky, he did throw that party to celebrate his acquittal. 
it was on that night that he received the comeuppance he deserved. Murder is messy, but the truth is even messier. Till tomorrow, this is Arun Advani signing off. The Andaman and Nicobar Islands literally translates to land of the naked people. The islands are home to many ancient tribes. These are the Oromangis. In the last month, there have been several unexpected deaths. Nothing suspicious, natural causes. But the elders of the tribe think otherwise. They think it is because the ancient sacred relic that they worship has suddenly gone missing. Sorry to interrupt. Ashok Rajput, the welfare officer. As you probably noticed, he has a wooden leg. Suppose I tell you, I know where your sacred relic is. Where is it? Who took it? Officer Banerjee. Banerjee, Mishra. We must send someone to his house and bring it back. <laughs> you think he has just left it in his house for you to come and take it? You think he's a fool? No. The stone is far away now. It's in mainland, India. Officer Banerjee, the man you trusted, has sold it to a rich man in Delhi. How do you know this? Word gets around, chief. All is lost then. There have been so many deaths. Soon, we will all die. Not necessarily. I can help you retrieve the stone. But one of you must come with me. You know we are not permitted to leave the island. We'll be thrown into jail. Don't worry, I can take care of that. Hey, Katie, how many times have I told you, stop jumping from tree to tree? You could have killed someone. Sorry, father. Apologize to Mr. Ashok. You almost chopped his head off. Sorry, Mr. Ashok. Can I make a suggestion, chief? Why don't I take Ekati to mainland? No, 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 no. My son is an innocent boy. He does not know the ways of the world. I'll take care of him. No, no. No one is as skilled at climbing and running as Ekati. See, Mr. Ashok, see, he's just a boy. Perhaps he will return a man. Tribes like yours. Can we get Big Mac then? Big Mac? This is not a holiday. Just shut up and do as I say. Okay? It takes three hours to fly from the island to Delhi. Ashok and Ekati took five days. Three on a ship, two overland.
Eggerty, the journey was unlike anything he had ever experienced. Everywhere he looks, he sees people. And more people. They look at him with suspicion. Even when he smiles his brightest smile. Look at that ugly man. Don't look there, don't look there. Come, Eggerty. You have to go. The traffic in the streets of Delhi overwhelms him. The lights and excitement dazzle him. By the time they reach the Sanjay Gandhi slums of Delhi, where Ashok promises they will find food and shelter, Egeti is tired. Gulabu, it's been too long. Ashok? We... We need a place to stay. Gulabo was once married to Ashok's brother. Even then, Ashok was unable to hide his feelings for her. And who's this? One of the tribals. I'm his welfare officer. Eketi, say hello to Gulabo, madam. Hello, Gulabo, madam. <laughs> Me, Eketi. Uh, Eketi, come for secret stone. Huh? Huh. The tribals have had a sacred relic stolen from them. We've come to Delhi to retrieve it. Come in. But I have a bakery to run, so don't get in my way. Come. I have thought about you often, Gulabu. Are you happy? How can I be happy without Kishore? I miss him too. He was my brother. I suffer every day. Every time I walk, every time I feel this piece of wood instead of a leg, I, I think about what happened that night. What happened to your leg, Mr. Ashok? What is the real reason you are here, Ashok? <coughs> Ekiti, go there. Lie down. Ekiti, not tired now. Then go, stand outside. Ashok and Gulabu need to talk. Go. Gulabu, I stole their relic. What? It's in my bag and it's very valuable. I can sell it. Then we can marry. We can go far away. We can buy a house. Then why have you brought the tribal here? To get revenge on the man who destroyed our lives. What are you doing? Ekiti eating. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Mm. Very nice. Goodbye, huh? Thank hey, hey, where is my money? Ekiti not have money. You idiot. Huh? First you eat and then you say you have no money. Sorry, Ekiti was hungry. Khan uncle, what are you doing? Champi, this bastard. He ate my food. Now he says he has no money. I'll give you the money, Khan uncle. Are you all right? Come, come, sit with me there. Come. Sit here. 
people not nice here. They call me Kathy bad things. People call me bad things too because of my face. What is wrong with your face? Can't you see? I'm disfigured. I'm hideous. You are beautiful. Why? Are you also blind like me? You are blind? Yes. Before I was born, my mother was in Bhopal where there was a big gas leak. That's why I turned out like this. What is your name? Champi. I'll call you Chilomi. Why? Chilomi means moon in my language. Ekati, idiot. I've been looking everywhere for you. How dare you go wandering like this? Uh, so, Come. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. We were just. And who is this freak? Sir. Come on. We have work to do. But Come on. That night, Ashok stopped far away from bungalow number six, which was in a posh and upmarket area of Delhi. Come. They walked the rest of the way. Ashok sir. Shh. Ashok sir. Whose house this is? Never mind that. All that matters is that they have the stone. Ashok had it all worked out. He had spent years planning this very night. Okay. This is what you have to do. Climb this wall and from the other side open this gate for me. But be careful not to be seen. Okay. I will be waiting here. Go. Yes. Good. <laughs> Don't just sit there, you fool. The guards will see you. Come to the gate. Climb down to the gate, Ekiti. Go, go. Just open the latch and let me in. Good. Come this way. He knew the house was heavily guarded, but he had stood outside staring at that bedroom window long enough to know exactly how he could get inside. He also knew he had no chance of getting in on his own with a wooden leg. He needed someone <sighs> like Ekati. your sacred relic is asleep in this room. We are going to shut his mouth with this tape and then tie him up with the rope. Understand? But Ashok sir, why we are... Do you want your bloody stone or not? Come, help me in. Here, Ashok sir. Careful. Nonsense! 
stand in the balcony and keep watch. Don't come in here while I'm talking to him. But where is Stone, Ashok, sir? Go! Vicky Rai. Remember me? Hmm. No? Where do you think I got this? My wooden leg. You have no idea, do you? Hmm. Shall I remind you? Me, my brother, my brother's wife, asleep on the pavement outside our bakery. You with a girl, drunk at the wheel. It was the 26th of July, 1999. Remember that date? Of course you don't, you bastard. What do you care about the lives you destroyed? God, my new car. Did you... Did you just... It's okay. They're just homeless people. But, but we... We ran... They shouldn't be sleeping on the pavement anyway. Oh, oh my God. Pass me my wallet. No. It's what? in the glove compartment. What, what, what? My wallet. Hey, hey, just chill, okay? You're with the Rhymeister. Everything's under control, okay? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Okay? 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 Sorry, I didn't see you. Why do you people sleep on the pavement? I mean, it's so dangerous. Here, uh, take this. Uh, get him a proper doctor. My brother is dead. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, here, use this for the funeral then. And uh, oh, here's some your leg. It looks in pretty bad shape, man. She's okay, okay, relax, man. Jeez. What? You don't want the money? All right, whatever, here. Keep it, keep it anyway. Why do we people sleep on the pavement? That's what you said? You think we can afford nice hotels and bungalows like you? Don't interrupt me, Ekiti! Ekiti saw God downstairs. Shut up! Not a word from you! Do you know how much time we spent at police stations and courtrooms trying to find someone who would give us justice? Begging lawyers, pleading with the police. Nobody helped us. You killed my brother. You destroyed our lives. Now I'm taking the law into my own hands, Vicky Rai. Unless 
unless you say something that will make me change my mind. <laughs> Do you have something to say? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was 16. Just a child. I didn't know what I was doing. I have thought about it every night of my life. I've thought about the suffering I've caused you and I've wanted so much to, to meet you and say how sorry I am. You have no idea the pain I feel. Don't you dare compare your pain to mine. No, I, I would never. Please, put that gun down. <laughs> Let's start a new life now as friends. You own a little bakery, right? I can invest in it. Make it fancy. I will pay for everything. You bastard. That's how it always is with you. Paying your way out of everything. Mr. Shook. I will make you pay now, Vicky Rai. You will pay with your life. No. Mr. Please, what are you doing? Please, Mr. Shook, please. I will show you pain, Vicky Rai. Stop. Put the gun down or I'll shoot. Just shoot him. Mr. Shook, here. Come here, quickly. The guards cannot catch them. Ekati is too fast. He carries Ashok all the way to the nearest bus stop. Ashok sir! Ashok sir! What about secret stone? Did you ask men for stone? The guards. They saw my face. You were in the shadows. They didn't see you. Ikiti, not understand. You want to go back to the island without your sacred stone? No, Ashok, sir. Then you will do as I tell you. Remember, Ikiti, I can call the police and have you arrested at any time. You are illegal here. Don't do that, Ashok, sir, please. Will you do whatever I tell you to? Yes, yes, Ashok, sir. What must Ekiti do? You. You must kill that man. Vicky Rai. Let's wind forward a bit. February 15th. The night Vicky Rai throws a party to celebrate his acquittal from Ruby Gill's murder. Guys and dolls. I'm standing here before you tonight because I'm a winner. By the end of the night, Vicky Rai will be dead. The police call it IPC Section 302, culpable homicide amounting to murder. I call it poetic justice. When the cops arrive to clean up the mess, they arrest five suspects. It isn't hard. They are the ones with guns in their possession. You met them all. The phone thief Munna Mobile, the actress Shabnam Saxena, the American Larry Page, the Home Minister Mamta Rai, and of course, Ekati. But hang on, didn't I promise you six suspects? Next week, I will fill in all the blanks. 
This is Arun Advani signing off. It wasn't always like this. We have allowed ourselves to become voyeurs, hooked on reality TV, feeding on the carcasses of others' misfortunes, salivating at celebrity marriages and breakups. Everyone watches. Thirty-seven people watched Munna Mobile's head being slammed down into a bowl of soup. No one interfered. Sorry, I'm sorry. Listen, just let me go. Listen, no, no. This is his punishment for having the audacity to fall in love with Vicky Rai's sister. Remember Vicky Rai? Are you going to serve us our bloody drinks, or aren't you, bitch? No! Yes, that Vicky Rai. <coughs> Next time you even look at my boss's sister, no, you will have more than soup in your face. You understand? Huh? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, sir. Good night. Thank you. Hey, wow, wow, Munna, traveling in rickshaws, sir. What's up? Have you come into some money? None of your business, Papu. Hey, what happened to your face, man? Hey, Munna, some men were here asking questions about you. Huh? What men? I don't know who they were. Did you tell them where I live? No, no, of course not, yar. I would never do that. It takes more than a few goons to scare Papu Pager. Yeah, whatever. Hey, what do they want anyway? Hey, Munna! 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 Hey, Champi. Huh? Did anyone come looking for me? No. Why? Doesn't matter. Who's this? Uh, this is Ekiti. He lives on an island. Huh? Hello, friend. Ekiti, happy to meet you. <laughs> Champi is blind, but she knows Something's not right. Is this blood? Oh, C come inside. I'll wash the wound. Take care, huh, friend. I'll meet you tomorrow, Ekiti. Tomorrow? <laughs> yes. I guess you can't always choose who you fall in love with. <laughs> I've been a fool to think that someone like Ritu Rai could fall for me. She's the daughter of a home minister. And who am I? <laughs> Just a mobile phone thief. Are, don't put yourself down. <laughs> I should have known better. Finding all that money in that bag, it doesn't make me like them. When you're born in a slum, you, you can't pretend to be anything else, na? I told you, no good would come of that money. So, hmm? who's this Agati fellow? He just showed up here one day. You know, I've never met anyone like him before. He doesn't see my ugliness, he sees me. You're not ugly, Champi. He wants to take me to his island. He knows of a sacred stone that can cure my blindness. You don't have to go anywhere else. There's enough money in that bag that I found, na? I can take you to the best doctors in Delhi. He wants to take care of me, Munna. But I'm your brother, Champi. Hide under the bed. My God. Quick, come on. Ah, Appu. Thank God. 
I thought it. Sorry, yar. They said they would break my arm. You know. I... So, okay, sir. Thank you, sir. You think you can just take the money and disappear? What money? Why was the job not done? Hey, <laughs> look, guys. <laughs> What job? Our associate is not a very patient man, Vijay. When he pays money for a job to be done, he expects it to be completed. So, hey, here's how it's going to work, huh? You will give us back the money. What money? Okay, 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 okay. okay. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Where's the rest of it? Look, I, I just found it. It was an accident. I, I wasn't going to keep it, sir. A job was paid for. If you have spent the money, job needs to be done. Yeah, the job, sure. Whatever needs to be done, I can do it. Sorry, some money is missing. I'll do any job you want. Which finger do you use? Huh? What for? Are you being deliberately stupid? No, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Which finger do you use to pull the trigger, bastard? Trigger? No, no, I've, I've never put. Which finger? I use my left hand to SMS. <laughs> Hold out your right hand. What for? Take his right hand. <laughs> That's for spending the money without doing the job. <laughs> boss, is there someone under the bed, boss? Nikalo, chale, chale. Hey, who's this freak? Don't touch my sister. <laughs> she's so ugly, boss. She's scaring the mosquitoes away. <laughs> Please, I'll do anything. You better, Vijay. So now. You wait for the call. Call. You will get your instructions, and if you mess up this time, you're not the only one who will pay. Chal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chappi. I'm sorry. I won't let anything happen to you. Okay. Munna couldn't sleep that night, or for many nights to come. He had forgotten about Vicky Rai. He had forgotten about Ritu. All he could do was think about that call. Sorry, idiot, you want to kill yourself over what, Mother? Sorry. Sorry. Hello. Vijay, it's Ritu. Are you okay? Yeah. How are you? I need to see you, Vijay. Listen, Ritu, this is not a good idea. The truth is, my my name isn't. Vijay, listen, I don't have much time. My friend Malini, I'm going to her house tomorrow. She says we can meet there. Ritu, I I need to talk listen, to you. Don't, listen, don't worry Ritu. about my brother. He's tied up with his trial. His, his judgment is due any moment. But I have to tell you, Ritu, I. I love you, Vijay. I love you too, Ritu. And listen, my bodyguard will be there, so so enter from the back door. Unna is torn, but how can he refuse the only woman he has ever loved? Vijay, I'm so happy to see you. Ritu, uh, what? What happened to your finger? 
Did my brother do this? No, it's not what you think. I should have told you Vicky was my brother. Look, Ritu, I haven't been honest about myself either. You may not want to see me again if you hear it. What? Look, nothing you can say will make me feel differently about you. Come sit down. The truth is, my name is not Vijay. It's Munna. What? I live in a slum. I'm, I'm not rich. But all those expensive restaurants, my diamond ring. I found that money in a bag, in a dustbin. I didn't think you would like me if you knew that I was a nobody. <laughs> Did you think it made a difference to me whether you were rich or poor? From the moment we met, I knew you. Not because of how much money you had in your pocket, but because of the truth in your eyes. Vijay, Munna, I don't care what you're called. But I can't afford to give you the life you're used to. Don't you understand? I don't want the life I'm used to. I hate my family. My mother is the world's most corrupt politician and my brother, he's just gotten away with... I don't even want to talk about it. Only you make me happy. Only you. I love you. I'm sorry, I have to get this. Hello. Go to where you found the bag. We'll call you back. Okay. I'm sorry, I have to go. I have to get something done. I'm sorry. Munna. Standing outside the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant, Munna's life has come full circle. This is where it all began. Where he found the bag of money. Where it seemed fortune had smiled on him and his life would change for the better. His life was going to change all right. Hello? Hello Vijay, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go to the trash can, reach inside, it's the one on the left. Okay. What am I looking for? And it's in a brown paper bag. Have you got it? Yeah, I've got it. It's a... Yeah. It's... it's the usual. Now, we don't have a date yet, but we should very soon. We'll call you with further instructions. What do I do with it? Don't be a fool. You know what you have to do. You have to kill the bitch. Bitch? The Home Minister Mamta Rai. He'll be in touch. Hello? 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 In a daze, Munna roamed the streets. He found himself in front of the television store where he had first met Ritu. A crowd of people had gathered outside. What has happened? Vicky Rai is acquitted. These corrupt politicians can do anything. Let's go take a look and see what it is that she has to say. The judge has spoken and my son 
has been vindicated of these cruel and politically motivated slanders. This has been a very difficult time for my family, but our belief in the judicial system of India and our faith in God has got us through this. Hello, friend. Hey, Ekiti. Have you seen Champi? Champi cooking. Ekiti love Champi. Yeah. I know. I know. Ekiti, I may have to go away for a while. I don't know when I can come back. Take care of Champi, okay? Take her to your island. Be good to her. Ekiti, take care of Champi. God's brought us together, huh? Thank you. You know, you're right. Maybe the gods have planned everything out, huh? Maybe some things are just meant to be. It is the 15th of February. Vicky Rai has thrown a party to celebrate his acquittal. Walk past the car park to the kitchen entrance. At 11.15, you'll see a driver smoking a cigarette at the door. Say to him... I'm Mr. Sharma's driver. He will let you through. You called it, right? Yes. Let's go Enjoy the party. <laughs> so, so, I said to him, I said to him, you may be a high court judge, Rishi Uncle, but you can't cheat when we're playing golf. <laughs> so he tells me, 80% of golfers cheat and the other 20% are lying. <laughs> Munna, huh? what are you doing here? I'm not afraid anymore. God, I missed you. I'm so happy to see you. I just want to be with you. Ritu. Ritu? Did someone hit you? Ritu, did your brother do this? Answer me. Did Vicky do this to you? Guys and dolls. I'm standing here before you tonight because I'm a winner. We have to run away. We have to get away from these people. They're crazy. Oh, could he? Will you run away with me? Yes, we'll run away. I can't let this happen to you again. We can sneak out the back door. Let's go now. No. There's something I must first do. Just wait here. Just wait. Guys, 
please excuse my waiters tonight. They're a bit jumpy. Probably worried I might shoot them if they refuse to give me a drink. <laughs> So guys, look, hey, enjoy the evening, everyone. And remember, life's too short to dwell on the past, right? So here's to the future. Yeah, baby, future. come on. To the future. Yeah, Cheers, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Vicky. Who switched the lights? Hello? What happened to the lights? Generator, put the generator on. Munna? Munna, where are you? I can't see what I'm drinking. Lights will come on. Don't worry about it. Lights will come on soon. Thank God. Hey, that was good. What's he doing here? He's lying on the floor. He's lying on the floor. Vicky. Vicky. Hey, he's been shot here, call an ambulance or something, Vicky! Hey, Vicky! 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 The night Vicky Rai was murdered, Munna Mobile was arrested along with the other suspects. But the question is, was it Munna who pulled the trigger? To answer that, we need to look a little deeper sift through the evidence and examine what the other suspects were doing that night. This is Arunadwani, signing off. And that was another part of Six Suspects by Vikas Swarup. Um, that was produced by John Dryden. Um, he is at goldhawk.eu, has information on his productions, uh, some really nice videos behind the scenes, uh, good stuff like that. I'll put that up in the show notes as well as, um, you know, you can check it out right now, goldhawk.eu. You um, and I had the opportunity to speak to John. Actually, uh, I've got John on the line now. Hey, John. Thanks, Fred. Uh, so th- let's. I guess let's start talking about just radio drama in general, John. Um, is it about right that 1997 was around your first production, or have you been working in radio for longer than that? I've been working in radio longer than that. I, I used to make um, documentaries. I did quite a lot of documentaries for the BBC and reports. I started off in news. Then I started making longer documentary features. And I guess I saw all that as a stepping stone towards making drama. That's what I really wanted to do. So how, I guess, how does that, how that inform it? Since uh, in, in some ways it seems to me that your field recording style is a bit more like journalism recording. Uh, do you talk about that transition? Yeah. I mean, what I found when I made um, longer form documentaries, th- these were like 30 minute or 40 minute documentaries for radio. Um, I, I tended to find myself being very interested in um, strong characters and and a, a sort of event of some sort that these characters um, would have some sort of story around. And so they were kind of very dramatic. They were drama-like in structure. Um, just for instance, I did a drama, uh, sorry, a documentary, it was like a drama, about a group of people taking um, aid to orphanages in Romania. And I, I kind of uh, looked for a group which had strong characters, but also where, you know, it, things were going to happen during the journey because the documentary was more about the journey, what it was that they were dealing with in, the, in their own lives 
that prompted them to go on this um, expedition across Europe to bring aid to orphans in Romania. And um, so it, it, was a, it was a kind of, I, I suppose, sort of a, a road movie story of, of sorts. When they, when they get there, they find that um, a lot of the stuff that's in the truck is, um, you know, kind of ill-considered things that maybe aren't that useful to orphans, like, you know, ballroom dresses and high, high heel shoes and stuff like that. So it was a sort of comedy of errors in a way, but it was a documentary and, you know, quite a tragic one as, as, as well, funny and tragic. Um, but what I found making this and making other documentaries like it was that my interest was, was in the drama of it all. And, um, and sometimes I felt that, yeah, I mean, in a way, it would be more honest to make a drama because when you're making an actuality-based documentary, you're constantly thinking of where this interview will be used, how this sequence will edit with that sequence. And so you're kind of editorializing it as you're making it. And then when you edit it, you're, you're making a lot of editorial decisions. Um, so you're kind of constructing a story in a way, even though it, it's presented as true life. Um, it is true life in some respects, but it's also constructed in other respects. And um, so drama seemed like the natural progression from that. Yeah. And and so how does that work, you know, from a technical per- perspective? Like, uh, you know, there's the whole commissioning structure of the BBC and things like that. Is it is it easy to just say, you know, I'm going to do drama today? Or did it take, uh, you know, how do you sort of redefine yourself and, and start doing drama? It's, it's quite difficult, actually, because there's, there's actually very little crossover. Um, I mean, drama is what I you know, did at school, what I studied at university. So that was always what I wanted to do. And making documentaries was, for me, I guess at the time, just an easier way to get in. Um, but I went to see the commissioning editor of drama and played him some of my documentaries. Um, and I, I guess what I felt was that the dramas that I had heard up till then on radio, which I'd enjoyed very much, had had a kind of studio-bound sound to them. Um, mm-hmm. And that in itself led to a certain type of performance that I th- thought was quite theatrical um, or, or that was in a sort of world of its own that didn't seem to reference the real world. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because that works really well on you know, a lot of dramas. But what I found having come from a documentary background where I was running down, you know, streets, holding microphones, following interviewees, you know, because my documentaries really weren't just about talking heads. They were about incident, you know, so people would be getting in and out of cars. They'd be walking across the street, going into the house, talking to someone, you know, I was following real life in that sense, um, as well as doing interviews, which would be sort of mixed in with it. But what I felt from having recorded all this actuality type material is that it would be quite easy to be doing that with actors, you know, and if there's a scene which involves an incident of some sort, um, why not have the actors actually act it out for real and try and find a location that's as authentic to where it's meant to be set as, uh, as you can find and, and do the whole thing for real and record it that way rather than trying to recreate it all in the studio. So, that, so when I went to the um, commissioning editor of drama, that was very much what I was selling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's kind of a old fiction, uh, you know, cliche or saying that goes, you know, it, it's the lie that tells the truth. And it sounds like that's 
uh, you know, kind of very close to, to what your motivation is here is, is you know, using uh, fiction constructs to also tell a very uh, true story, uh, you know, particularly the most, more recent stuff with, uh, you know, modern day India or, or you know, foreign countries that uh, many people, uh, you know, just is not the, the fair necessarily of typical drama and, and, and bringing us to foreign places is really, um, you know, fascinating. So, I guess t talk about some of the locations that you you've been over time. I mean, you know, uh, were you doing sort of international travel with with the documentary stuff, or like when you, for instance, you know, start going to places like Cairo and Japan to record? Like, uh, you know, how do you how how does how does that come into being um, as, as something that you can pitch and deliver and 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 uh, pull together? Well, actually, the first documentary I made was in Kuwait just after the. Um you know, the first Gulf War. And I, I was one of the first people there. Um, it was a bit of a long story that I won't go into, but I got a visa to go there you know, just after the war ended. And I did a documentary there. And I've always been kind of interested in, um, you know, traveling and stuff like that. And um, so I suppose a lot of the documentaries, I, you know, I did, I did projects in different parts of Europe. I, I did a, a couple in America, documentary projects. Um, the dramas, were were kind of UK based to begin with, um, but they, you know, uh, I mean, the first drama I did was about the South African elections after Nelson Mandela was released, uh, but it was set in London. So, it, but it had a sort of international feel, I suppose, in that respect. But we recorded it in London, um, and in fact, we then uh, did a sequel a year later, which we recorded in South Africa. Um, you know, with the with the early dramas, I, I guess what we were doing is we were mixing real life with drama um that the drama about the south african elections involved you know real things happening as they happened right up to the broadcast so like the, a bomb went off in johannesburg airport on the day of the election and our program was going to be broadcast our drama on the day of the election as well so we somehow managed to build that in so wow. and we were using actors but we were also using real people where we could that we'd sort of drop into situations um you know for instance in the sequel nelson mandela has a sort of um an appearance at one point um, himself and uh, wow. uh you know so we sort of did that which i at the time was calling like a kind of in i love dramas that you could completely sort of believe were authentic and you were or, you know where you weren't quite sure is this a drama or is this a documentary and i called it at the time um enhanced reality so you'd have actors and dramas but you'd start to believe in the actors because they would meet in real life uh, you know a real life politician or uh, or someone that the audience would recognize as being a real person and it gave the drama a kind of enhanced reality that made the audience question hang on a minute is, is this a drama or, is, or am i listening to a documentary i'm not quite sure so there's a sort of edginess in that experience I suppose over the years, and I've done quite a lot in India, as you've mentioned, and I've worked in Japan and in Egypt. And one thing that's really interesting for me is working with actors in different parts of the world and setting up productions in different parts of the world. Um, the thing about working with actors in different parts of the world is you realize they're all kind of the same. You know, being an actor is like being a type of person. You're delving into yourself to find a kind of truth about, you know, the nature of being human. It's like being part of a tribe, actually. 
that um, transcends borders. But the other side of traveling as well is setting up productions. And, and that often is very different. People have different ways of working in different parts of the world. And what I've managed to tap into, I think, in each place I've gone to is, is the sort of production community. And, and, you know, my first objective is always to find a really good, you know, local producer to help me pull the whole thing together because only they would really know how to do it. Because they're all on location in the way that we've, you know, just been talking about. Um, they're organized in a, in a way that's very similar to how you would organize a, a, a film, really. You know, when you've got locations, you've got to get people to those locations. You, um, you want to feed them, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's, it, so it involves quite a lot of work on the, the scheduling to make it efficient. Um, and you need quite a lot of, you know, you need a team to get that all sorted out. So it's a very different way of working to how you would work in a studio where you simply tell everyone to turn up to the studio and, um, you know, and you've got a base. Usually you're, you're driving around with these location things and having to move people from A to B and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and do you find, find yourself, you know, I imagine there's some amount of, of script selection or what you pitch that relates to, you know, uh, locations. So for instance, you know, you've done several uh, productions in India now. Do you find that that's because you, you're enjoying returning to India that you've got, uh, you know, how, how much of it is story driven, how much of it is, you know, kind of the types of story, you know, based on other productions you've done and, you know, how much is just, another story grabs you that's just arresting that, that draws you back to India? Or is it a little bit of, of all those factors? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a little bit of all of that. I, I, you know, the first project I did in India was an adaptation of A Suitable Boy, um, which is the huge Vikram set novel um, that I adapted and did in five one-hour episodes as uh, the BBC. And it was a, you know, it was a tough production, actually. Very, very tough. We, mm -hmm. we didn't quite have a, enough money. And um, and I'd never worked in India, and uh, and the, so the team I had there were very kind of raw, um, and you know we didn't know each other, so it was all kind of it was it, it was you know stomach churning to begin with because there was a lot of money at stake, you know, and whether it, we had to deliver something at the end, and we had a really tight schedule, so we were we were working long hours, you know, it was I think it was a three week record. And we were working, I think we, we generally had Sundays off. So it was six-day weeks, but often working till, you know, nine or ten at night. And then we'd have to be up at, you know, seven in the morning. This is in 2001. And at that time, we were still recording on DAT tape. So then all night, yeah. the DATs had to be backed up. You know, we had to have a, a real system. And, and the location we found was um, a, a house in uh, outside Mumbai, which was you know, a, a big kind of house that had lots of different spaces and stuff like that, that was good for the drums. It, it all kind of was good, but it was really, really hard work. And it had a huge cast of about 40 people. Um, but through this experience, because it was so hard, we really bonded. Um, me, my team from the UK and the Indian team. And we've worked together, you know, since, you know, that was 10 years ago now. And we've worked together on four or five projects. Um, and we're really, really close and know how to, you know, how to work together. And so I think probably it was such a sort of traumatic experience for us all, but also a kind of wonderful experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's let's talk about some of those other ones right now as well because you did uh, Q and A. You won a Sony Gold Drama Award for that. Um, that's the production. Uh, well, that that was later adapted uh, to, to the film, um, *Slumdog Millionaire*. That you know, as we mentioned, that uh, is quite cel- celebrated film and and won an Oscar. And here you are, uh, kind of pioneering things with the the radio drama. Um, and, and you want to talk a little bit about how that production came together? Yeah. Um- well, no, I mean, someone suggested the book to me, I think before it was published in the UK. And I, I was I was actually working on a project in Bangladesh and I was on a train and read it and I couldn't put it down. It was so gripping. And I thought this would just be the best drama. Um, you know, it, it, it just reads like a film script. And um, so I tried to sell it. So and often, you know, you have to try and sell things several times to several different people. And I think I was unsuccessful to begin with. Um, I, I managed to get the rights um, and then took it to the BBC. And the, at first they weren't that keen. But then I found um, and often this is about finding the right slot for it. You know, um, when you've got a project to sell, you really need to know where it's going to go and what sort of audience you're going to aim it at with the BBC anyway, because it helps a lot when you go and see the commissioning editor and you know exactly where you're going to put it. So there is this slot that's that's a very episodic 15 minutes a day slot that goes out in a very popular programme on Radio 4 called Woman's Out. Um, it's got a huge audience, about 800,000 people listen um, to each broadcast. And it's a, it's a women's magazine show that goes out in the morning. And at that time, there's, and it has a 15-minute drama slot that goes right in the middle of it. And at that time, most of the dramas were very kind of related to women's issues in some ways. But they were kind of, in, the commissioning editor was quite interested in moving away from that. And I'd heard this. And I thought this would be a great drama for that slot because as a story, Q&A, you know, Slumdog Millionaire, the book, is very, very episodic. It works, um, you know, as who wants to be a millionaire? There's a question. Then you flash back to some uh, incident in his life that shows you how he would know the answer to that question. And then he gives the answer and it builds like this. Um, So the way we envisaged it is that each episode would be a a question um, and an answer. Each episode would be framed by the the question and then the answer would come at the end. And in between would be... um, the sequence, the, the story in India that tells you about some extraordinary episode of his life. Um, and as each episode moves forward, the stakes get higher because there's more um, at stake, you know, in terms of the prize money. And, um, and also the story gets more complicated um, and exciting. Um, and so it builds, so it seemed like a perfect uh, drama for that slot over 10 episodes. And the audience really built each, you know, the first few episodes, uh, you know, went out. We didn't hear much about it. But then as, as it progressed, we, we heard, you know, so much uh, from the audience, um, you know, who, who were just sort of hooked on it, really, you know, because they wanted to know what was going to happen next. It was that kind of story. Yeah, fascinating. And then uh, you've got some really nice stuff. I'm going to direct listeners to uh, your blog on the uh, BBC Radio 4 about six suspects, because you sort of talk in there about, uh, you know, how how you try to have this be a little bit different than your previous 
India productions. Um, and it, it sounds like there's quite a lot, quite a lot goes into it sounding like it does in terms of, uh, you know, a real action-packed feel, a real uh, gritty real-life feel. Um, and without getting into the stories too much, just because uh, people may not have heard the whole drama by now, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the techniques that you use? Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, I'm always rather embarrassed when people ask about, you know, what my approach is, because it's really, really simple. Um, I, I tend not to use lots of different microphones. Um, I tend to just use a stereo microphone, sometimes, you know, a, a straight AB stereo or sometimes a you know, a slightly different mic, but basically it's one mic and a tape recorder. And then we just record bits, you know, we'll record a little 30 second chunk here, 30 second chunk there and, and build it in the post-production um, like a sort of jigsaw puzzle really and layer it. Um, but I, I just make sure that I've got everything kind of pretty much in isolation um, because that gives me maximum flexibility when I'm editing it. Yeah, and and I'd, you know, not to decry recording with one stereo mic, it's it's easy enough to say you just use one mic, but knowing what bits to record and how you're going to use them is is the is the is the more complicated art art of it. I mean, I, I would say in the edit, typically of those sort of dramas, you'd be looking at you know forty to sixty tracks running simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so give me a timeline here. So, six suspects we were just talking about. That was uh, early 2010. Um, later that year, um, you released Severed Threads, which I had the pleasure of working on. We heard that on this show um, last year. That was stressful, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and so uh, you've got a new show coming out, Pandemic, and it seems like you've done something similar in the sense that you have uh, different continents different things happening different timelines you you're weaving you know it's three three episodes and different things happen at different points in time and um you know this it's going to be airing uh actually after this interview releases it's 26th to 28th of march 2012 um so you know without giving things away you want to talk a bit about you know yeah what it what it what yeah the, the bit what the story's about and what people can expect pandemic is about a, a worldwide um, viral outbreak that has devastating consequences. And it's three stories set against that backdrop. Um, the, the first episode is about a doctor, British doctor, who goes to Thailand on a, for a sort of medical conference and gets caught up in um, what appears to be a, a sort of natural outbreak based on the real work of um, microbiologists and, and what they do. We researched it in quite some detail. Um, and he makes a very key discovery at the end of the first episode. You know, I don't really want to spoil it because I won't tell you quite what it is. Um, but it changes everyone's perception of, of what has happened. And the second episode is set some years in the future. Um, and this pandemic has had a devastating effect on the population of the world. Um, and um, it concerns uh, a civil servant, a young woman who's, who had lost her, her husband and daughter to the, um, the pandemic a few years earlier. Um, and she's sent to the house, it's set in Britain, she's sent to the house of a government scientist um, to tidy up because this government scientist has um, committed suicide, apparently. 
Um, and so she's sent to, to to clean up his office and bring back some, you know, files and stuff like that. And she finds herself being uh, brought into some sort of conspiracy. But again, I don't want to go into too much detail. Of it. It, it's a political thriller, I would say, uh, rather than a disaster story. Um, and that leads to a pretty critical discovery that has some bearing on the final episode, which is set in the past, before the Doctor went out to uh, Thailand and before, obviously, the pandemic uh, broke out. Yeah, and and so, <laughs> and this one's great. So this one's uh, an original um, uh, that you've written and directed. You know, some of these uh, you've you've written directed several. Uh, Severed Threads is another recent one. Um, plenty of others you've ad- you've adapted. Um, so I, I would say, but this, this seems to have a, a similar thing with severed threads in the sense that there's the stories, you have multiple stories that sort of interlock in ways that kind of are surprising to the listener. Is that, is that, I assume that's a deliberate choice of you as a writer to try and do some interesting things with the way the story is structured in a kind of untraditional, non-traditional manner. I guess when I embarked on severed threads and then when I embarked on this one pandemic, it was very much. Um, with the idea that I wanted each episode to some degree to be self-sufficient and for there to also be an overriding story that would make the three episodes a whole. Um, It's it's not so unusual, this approach. If you look at a lot of um, American, the the great American TV series that run for 12 episodes, say like Dexter or something like that, um, each episode has, in a sense, a story that is satisfying if you only happen to catch that episode. But if you catch the whole lot, then there's a even more satisfying, overriding, overarching story that takes you straight through to the end. And, you know, if I, you know, my, my ambition and my hope is <laughs> with these dramas that you get to the end of the episode and you've enjoyed it. But you're also thinking, I've got to listen to the next episode because there's there's enough that's held back that I've got to find out about. Yeah, and and you and you also make uh, you, you as you say, this is a political thriller as opposed to kind of the, uh, you know, I guess if you want to call it a genre of the disaster film, you know, outbreak, you know, where, where it's so much about the the event and what happens and what it, you know, more of like a what if scenario. Uh, whereas yours, yours is exploring something a little bit different. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious about that inspiration as well. Um, you know, what, what brings you to, to exploring this kind of territory and, and you know, what's, what's the, the, the fascination and what, or what can expect, you know, listeners expect to get as a, a kind of a different taste here? Yeah. I mean, I, I love disaster stories, but, um, I, I didn't really want to do that. You know, I wanted, I just wanted that to be the backdrop. Um, but to tell a story about some real characters, um, gosh, you know, it's really, it's really hard to say what the inspiration is. It, it, it's something I've been mulling over for some time, you know, possibly, you know, a year or two. And then when I came to write the treatment, it, it just went this way. You know, that's sort of what kind of interested me. And, and it was the same when I was writing Severed Threads. I'd mulled over it for some time before that and um uh you know and and at that stage i knew uh, 
that I wanted to write something which was set on three continents, but that within each episode we would go from continent to continent to continent, uh, you know, and follow three storylines that would kind of interweave, um, which is very different to the approach I took with Pandemic, where each episode is just, uh, you know, a, a single story. Um, I, I suppose what I was interested in there with Pandemic was that um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff about the environment that we have to sort of believe in and to not believe in um, is, is considered sort of heretical in some ways. And so I became quite interested in some of these sceptical environmental academics who had written books. I, it, it just sort of gave me the idea for this drama. And I think it, that was really what inspired it, probably. Yeah, fascinating. And and I guess let's talk just in a, a, a bit a bit about just radio in general. You know, you've you've obviously made uh, you know quite a career in it. You also do some film and TV work as well. Um, you know, and and I just be curious to see you know just have some of your comments on on you know uh, working in radio. Uh, you know, and 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 you know what 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 keeps bringing you back even though you do have opportunities to do, you know, documentary and drama and, and uh, TV and film as well. Um, well, you know, I'm very lucky living in, in the UK. You know, the BBC is quite, um, uh, you know, an extraordinary organisation. I know it's changing a lot, you know, but one of the things that it does is it commissions new writing and new work on a very regular basis. And, and radio is very fast turnaround. You can get stuff commissioned much more quickly than you could, for instance, in television. And they'll fund it 100%. So, you know, it's very attractive because you can sell an idea and then they just let you go off and make it, you know, and then you contact them again when you finished it and deliver it. And um, if they're happy with it, then the chances are they'll commission more stuff. So it's, it's a wonderful medium to work in because of that. You can be you know, very creative and um, there's very little interference and there's a lot of interference working, you know, in television and, and to some extent in film, unless you're very lucky. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess it's the opportunity one, you know, you take your opportunities and this opportunity was here for me. Uh, they commissioned the stuff. There's an audience for it. The audience is huge. Um, There'd probably be a revolution in Britain, you know, if they got rid of Radio Four. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, so the fact that this stuff is being funded is is a great privilege, you know, really. Fantastic. Well, uh, so John, obviously, I want to uh, send people over to Pandemic. Um, I believe they'll be probably able to get that on the iPlayer. So I'll put links yep. up at radiodramarevival.com. Um, and, uh, you do have a website, goldhawk.eu, several of your shows, um, you can either learn more about it. Several of them are available for sale through, um, audio go, which I think is the, uh, you know, kind of BBC's, uh, store. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then they, they, they can learn more. There's, uh, you know, I'll put some links up here for BBC for blog. Um, anything else you'd like to point listeners to, to check out there? Want to hear more? Um, well, we'll have all the links on, on, on the Goldhawk website. So, if, you know, we love getting comments from people. That's, that's always great to hear what people think. Yeah.
Fantastic. And you and you have some great videos behind the scenes. Uh, uh, we didn't even talk about the Mumbai Chuzzlewits, which um, is a, a, a three-part, uh, you know, hundred uh, two three hours of production. Yeah. Um, the the Dickens ad- adaptation. You have some really fun uh, video clips behind the scenes of that. Yeah, I mean, I was amazed by because it, it, it was written. Uh, we made it last um, last year, and it was broadcast on the BBC as part of. There's been a, a you know two hundred years since Dickens's uh, birth, so there's been a bicentenary sort of bicentenary festival in Britain celebrating Dickens, and so this went out on the BBC as part of that, um, and it was Martin Chuzzlewit, which is one of his lesser known novels, set in modern day Mumbai amongst the Catholic community there, which people don't really know very much about the Catholics in Mumbai. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a sort of strange idea, and I, I didn't really expect a huge amount from it. But it, the response we had was extraordinary because I think people were completely charmed by it. <laughs> you know, it was just it 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 just sort of was one of those productions where everything kind of worked out. The music's great. The whole thing has a kind of musical quality to it, but it's also a really gripping story with you know murder and all that kind of stuff. And there's a great murder in, that takes place in a swimming pool in the third episode and, and Ponzi schemes and uh, and also you know love story and all that kind of thing but um, it somehow seemed to translate effortlessly into modern day India and I, I think that's because you can sort of believe almost anything is possible in India you know it feels like a sort of Dickensian world that you have um, you know, unregulated factory and you know, factories and you know, money lenders and stuff like that. And things can sort of horrible skin diseases and, you know, things you can sort of believe that almost anything can happen. Um, you know, like an undertaker who, who runs her business from her sort of front living room and there's regularly sort of bodies laid out on the front table. By setting it in modern day India, it just seemed to seem very kind of believable in a way, you know, but um, a sort of period type adaptation would always be uh, you know period types of dickens adaptation is kind of what you expect whereas this felt very fresh yeah yeah well it, i mean it's i guess in some ways that's what it's a really great example of what the field recording opportunity brings brings to a production it, and you know uh yeah you you, you certainly there's so many retellings of, of classic literature, Dickens, as well as, uh, you know, so many other, uh, you know, classic novels. And to, to, to you know, adap- adaptations to another time and place are challenging, yet uh, yet, yet it, here it, it delivers. And, and part of it is it, it has that fantastical quality to it, and it has that uh, sound, you know, the sound of it brings you, brings you, brings you there uh, and that, and, and, and in a way that, um, you know, if you were if you're going to try and set it in modern India, but not actually record it in mon- modern India, I don't think you'd have that effect. I think that's true. I think you know you've got all the chaos of the streets and stuff that really add add to that, you know, that sort of that tone really and the musicality of it. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, John. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and uh, to talk a little bit about your work and and share it with our listeners. We are eager to hear more. It's it's uh, really fantastic to listen to. Thanks, Fred. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you.
And that was John Dryden, uh, producer for Goldhawk Limited, which is often commissioned by BBC Radio 4. It's often where you're going to hear his stuff. On John Dryden, goldhawk.eu, to follow his personal website, which has stuff about both his film work and his audio work, links to his previous shows and uh, uh, videos behind the scenes. Pretty cool to see some of the stuff that was produced for this particular show. Um, and yeah, um, all sorts of good stuff that he has done. Uh, next week we'll have one more installment of Six Suspects, and I'll be pumping his Pandemic, his new production as well. Hopefully we'll have the iPlayer address to give you by then. Um, yeah. In the meantime, over 200 hours of original audio drama programming at radiodramarevival.com, really recently redesigned to make it easier to dig deeper into the archives, find featured genres, uh, look through productions that you might like from the past, um, you know, see see interviews. I mean, we've we've been at this for a while, and if you're finding friends who are just getting into audio drama, there is a lot to choose from. If you have any thoughts on how to make it easier to find out, find what you might like from previous shows, I'm all ears. Email me, Fred at RadioDramaRevival.com. You can also follow our Facebook page, Radio Drama Revival. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio Drama, or find us on iTunes. This show is Radio Drama Revival, and do please leave a review on iTunes if you are so moved. Um. That is a wrap for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains to their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Southern Maine's community radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.